0: for you are holy. Yeah, Lord, you are, you are, you are, you are set apart, you are great and wondrous and wonderful and worthy of our praise. And so, Lord, we look to you, we lift you up. We pray, oh God, that as we look to you, as we seek your face, Lord, we would see you as you are, high and lifted up, powerful and mighty, glorious and worthy of praise. Lord, remind us to trust in you, to rest in you, to seek your face, for you are holy and worthy, for we pray in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you for coming. Please have a seat. So grateful that you're here. Welcome to the Recovery House of Worship. We are super glad to have you here. Um, We're in a a series, but before I get to that series, I just want to... Um, share uh, just a a spirit of thanks, having just gone through Thanksgiving. We have so many volunteers that um, come here and really serve with all their heart and, and serve Jesus. It's really, really quite beautiful. But this week on Thursday, now, by the way, we don't just do this on Thanksgiving. I mean, every week, we feed hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of families. It's incredible, through our soup kitchen and food pantry, Many people get blessed. But this Thursday, we had an opportunity to feed almost 300 people. People from uh, not only homeless shelters, but women from abused and battered shelters who had gone through all sorts of turmoil and, and stress and horror. They, they, too, were fed. And let me tell you something. We didn't just... We didn't just open the doors and say, wait, hey, if you can get here. Because how many know if you're in a shelter, you probably don't have a token, not a token, nobody uses, who uses a token anymore? <laughs> how old am I? <laughs> you probably don't have a metro card. You probably don't have the metro card to get to a destination like this. So this church invested $1,200 to drive them from, their, uh, uh, from their, the place that they were staying to drive them here, let them have a meal with dignity. We didn't, it wasn't no like a uh, little line, we served them, hey, here's your salad, here's your pie, here's your turkey and all the fixins and all that other stuff. It was amazing, but it could not have been done without the volunteers in this very congregation pulling together their finances and resources. You know, that stuff doesn't come, to you. listen, if it costs $1,200 to get them here, you know how much it costs to, keep, uh, to feed them and all that other stuff? Lots and lots and lots and lots of money, and yet you give and you serve. Now we also had another church, Peakskill, who gave. Uh, In fact, their donation was one thousand two hundred for the buses. So they gave. So we're grateful for the church at Peakskill, who um, gave above and beyond. And you gave. I'm just so grateful for that. So um, I know that this could not have been done without one particular man uh, who headed the whole thing up, uh, Pastor Pedro. Pastor Pedro came and he organized and he got, you know, he tried to get news agencies over here. He, he uh, trained the, the volunteers. He trained the leaders of the volunteers. He just did all this work to make this a reality. And Pastor Pedro's not here right now. He's, uh, uh, every fifth week, he has to uh, work in uh, his job, which is also, by the way, feeding people. That's what he's about. That's his heart. He loves to serve and give mercy, but he did that and he couldn't have done it by himself. We had an army of volunteers. So I just want to honor you. If you're here and you volunteered for Thanksgiving, would you stand? We just want to honor you. Thank you, guys. You guys are amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for all your hard work. Thank you so much. That's wonderful. Thank you so much. Listen, guys, that what you do is very, very important. Let me just uh, make another little caveat about uh, uh, giving and all that other stuff. Um, uh, In Christmas, most of us spend money um, to buy people presents that they're not going to have probably the next year or even the next few months if you're buying for kids. And so um, what what we say here is that pray, and I'm not taking another offering. There's none of that happening. But between now and Christmas, about giving what we call a Christmas offering. I'm going to be praying about it. I want you to be praying about it. Hasn't God been good to you this year? And so you just just say, you know what? I'm not going to give all my money to Amex. I'm not going to give all my money to Toys R Us or Target or Old Navy or wherever else you go to, you know, Walmart or wherever else you go to buy your stuff. I'm going to to set finances on the side, and I'm just going to, because I want to start the new year in the most healthy possible way. Now, for those of you who are new and you go, man, that's a good-looking guy with a nice suit. We must pay him a lot of money. You would be right. You would be right. Out of two, uh, out of the three of those statements, yes, he's good looking. Yes, it is a nice suit. But, 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 I want you to know, uh, that's not our story here. That's simply not. You'd have to go to another church for that. Um, uh, I have served in this church for years for free. Then we served this church, my family and I did, when we were homeless, had nowhere to stay, and still, and the church couldn't afford to pay us, even though they wanted to. And and so I'm saying that simply to say, and there's other people who have sacrificed. I'm not the only family who sacrificed here. Tons of people who have sacrificed in order to make this thing happen. What I'm trying to tell you is that your money goes to ministry. And so if you would pray about the special offering, not talking about your tithes and offering, give your tithes and offerings. That's one thing, and that's marvelous, and keep on doing that. For those of you who haven't done that, how do you know the joy of seeing those pictures and going, man, I had a part to play in that? And so I want you to know the joy of that. And I'm your pastor, and I love you, and I want you to, you know, it's the best investment in town. So pray about what you're gonna give. A lot of you have a lot of money that you just simply are sitting on. And just, you know what, your security needs to be in Christ. And so uh, pray about what you're gonna give. And for those of you, right, so some of you are gonna say, you know what, God put it on my heart, $100,000, to which I say amen and yes, right? And some of you, and some of you, what's a real sacrifice is gonna be $50. But do me a favor don't tell me that the Lord spoke to you uh, if it's not a sacrifice. In other words, you don't need Jesus to tell you to give $3 when you have 300. Like, that's like, all right, I'll give $3 You don't feel that. But there's wonder, there's a beauty in saying, you know what, I'm gonna give sacrificially, I'm gonna give above and beyond, and I'm gonna give, and I'm gonna trust in God for all of my resources. So I hope you don't take that as me uh, wanting a new Cadillac, or whatever you think of when you think of pastors talking about money. Um, if you want to see my Cadillac, it's a 2001 Dodge in the, uh, with a lot of dings and bangs up and stuff like that. So that's not what we're here for. But I did want you to have that opportunity. So between now and Christmas Eve service, bring your Christmas offering. I encourage you. We're not going to talk much more about it. I'm just going to let the Holy Spirit work on your heart and we'll go from there. From there, let's go ahead and start uh, on the series by praying. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this uh, wonderful opportunity to preach your precious, precious word. I certainly don't deserve it, and it's a gift. So thank you for bringing us here. Thank you for this incredible opportunity to look to your word and look to you as King and Lord and God and sufficient for us. Help us, oh God, uh, to uh, see you as glorious and apply your word to our hearts as we look at you. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Um, We're in a brand new series, and the series is called simply The Waiting Room. Now, what is The Waiting waiting Room? The Waiting Room is simply the place where, uh, you know where life is normal, and then something happens that changes all of that? Like you never thought about your back until that day and now it's all you think about right you never thought about your marriage being in crisis and now it's all you think after that day it's all you think about you never thought about your health and now it's all you think about you never thought you simply never thought it is a change from the norm it is the new normal and when that day happens And everything changes. And before the change that you're looking for, the hope that you have, before you get to the future that you're hoping will happen sooner rather than later, before the marriage gets put together, before the single person gets married, before, 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 all the things that you think that are going to make you happy, before that happens, there's this space. And we're calling that The waiting room, we're calling it the waiting room, where we wait. Now, the uniqueness about this series is that we haven't taught one minute of how to get out of your circumstances. We haven't talked about how God is gonna miraculously change your circumstances. We haven't talked about that one minute. That's not the focus of this series. The focus of this series is how to endure the waiting. Because the fact is that some of you will die before your crisis is over. You'll run out of life before you'll run out of crisis. You'll run out of life before you run out of suffering. You see, and so this series, if you're here, has been focused on that. Now, the one question, we've been trying to answer this one question, After each week, every week, we've been trying to answer this one question, and it's simply this. What can you do when there's nothing else to do? What do you do when there's nothing else to do? When you get to the point and you've manipulated and you've argued and you've tried and you've cajoled and you've bribed and you've had favor and you've begged and you've... What can you do when there's nothing else you can do we've been spending all of our time these last three weeks and now this week fourth week on answering that one question the first answer to that question we found in part one and I can't give you the whole thing you're gonna to have to go on the uh, either get the CD or go online or go on the podcast but the first answer we had to that was don't forget God remembers so I'll wait on him that's the first what do you do when there's nothing else you can do don't forget God remembers and so I'll wait on him. So we said, we're not going to forget, wait, Jesus died on the cross, so he's not going to leave me alone. And God remembers, he's promised never to leave me nor forsake me. He knows my, my wounds and hurts. So I'll wait on him. Since those two things are true, I'm going to wait on him. And remember what we said about waiting? We said it was patiently pursuing. That waiting is not doing nothing. It's patiently pursuing. It's going, God, please help me. Give me grace part 2 the way we answered the question the second answer that we had for the question was simply i can't what do you do when there's nothing else you can do so say this to yourself i can't but he can through me that's right i can't so you know when you go when you, when you're in the, the doctor's office and you say to yourself i can't take it anymore you almost hear jesus you almost see jesus smiling and he goes finally you gotten to the point where I want you to be. You know you couldn't from two years ago. But I'm glad you see it now. Of course you can't. I made you to rely on me, Jesus would say. I can't, but he can through me. You go, I can't take this marriage anymore. And then Jesus goes, I know you can, not but I can through you. You say, I can't take this medical issue. I can't take this singleness. I can't take this financial strain. Jesus goes, I know, but I can't. I'm I'm not talking about him getting you out of it. I'm I'm talking about him enduring you through it. I can't take this. I can't take this longing in my soul for the alcohol. I can't take this longing in my soul. I just can't take it. Jesus goes, finally, you're right. You can't. I can and I can through you that's what we learned on the second week on the third week which was last week we learned that we're we don't deny we learn to cry and on Christ rely that's what we learned. that when you're in the waiting room that when you're stuck between what used to be and what might be one day you don't deny don't act like it's no big deal don't act like it's, it's not, oh, well, you should be over it by now. No, 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 don't do that. Feel your feelings. Don't deny. Learn to cry. And we said that crying is not just tears rolling down your face. Crying, biblically speaking, is crying out to God. It's, it's when, let me tell you something, it's when your prayers aren't so cute. They get serious, boy. They're rolling up your sleeves, prayers. God, don't send no angels. This is no time for boys. Come yourself. Those are serious prayers. And so we said, don't deny. Learn to cry or cry out. And on Christ rely. Say, Jesus, you're my joy. I I, I know I put all my joy on that, but I'm not going to put my joy on that. I'm going to put my joy on you. If they stay, I'm I'm grateful. If they go, I'm grateful for you being with me, Um, if the health gets better. Now this week, we're going to learn Another way to answer this question, our fourth answer to the question, what do you do when there's nothing you can do? Now, we're going to learn it from a man by the name of James. James was the brother of Jesus. James, the brother of Jesus, who did not believe in Jesus while he was alive, understandably so, James writes this letter to the churches, and he writes, it's the book of James, in the word of God. Now, if you're here and you're new, I'm so grateful that you're here because these scriptures that we're going to read today are part of the reasons why I believe the Bible is true. If you're like me and you grew up thinking, ah, the Bible is just a book put together by man in order to uh, control people. If you're like me and you thought that, this scripture was going to help you a bit. And if you don't know Christ, listen, at the end of this service, I'm going to ask you to come to Christ. And what I mean by that is have Christ be your your leader, the one who calls, who's the shot caller in your life. I'm going to ask you to come to him, but that's later on. James writes the book of James, and he writes it to a bunch of, um, the brother of Jesus writes it to a bunch of churches, and it's pretty, uh, this incredible letter, and he has this pastor's heart, and he tries to tell these people all the things that a pastor wants to tell his people. And so he writes this book for that reason, and we have it today. Now, it is our Tradition to stand at the reading of God's word. If you can stand, please do. If you can't, we understand. So, one of the what we're going to do is we're going to read God's word together. We're going to read it together, and then we'll get right into the message. Okay? On a count of three, in a nice, loud voice. One, two, three. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes of his greetings. Counted all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. This is God's word. Please have a seat. So James, he tries to answer this question that you and I struggle with when we suffer. And the question that you and I struggle with when we suffer is, God, where are you do- what are you doing? What on earth are you doing? I'm suffering, this is difficult, this relational situation is horrible, what are you doing? Why haven't you relieved me of this? James answers that question in his opening lines of his very book. Now, if you are suffering, I need to say this on a, as an aside, if you're suffering, the answer that James gives is not going to be emotionally satisfying. Let me tell you why I say it. it's, not, it's going to be true. It's going to be powerful, but it's not going to feel emotionally satisfying because when you and I suffer, we're like my youngest son, David. When we suffer, when I suffer, uh, we're like David. I, I go to David. David goes, he goes to grab the, the little um, uh, aspirin, the bottle of aspirin. So he now, he figured out how to get on the uh, the toilet, so he closes the toilet thing, gets up on it, and grabs the aspirin, right? When I take that aspirin from him, he starts to cry, and he starts to get upset because you know what? You know what? He thinks I'm taking away his joy. He thinks of me. He looks to me, and he says, "You tyrant." You don't want my joy. You just want to take all the fun from me. I can't wait till I can get out of this house and have as many bottles of aspirin as I like. (laughs) You are a killjoy, and you know nothing of what makes me happy. See, David is like me and you. That's what we think about when God does, and he takes things away from us. And so now I can answer to David. Now, David, here's the deal. Uh, Aspirin is like number 15 on the most dangerous things you can put into your body, right? It'll eat a hole into your stomach. You take enough of these, and this will kill you before the night is over. I need to spare you that. I love you far too much for you to have that kind of poison. Even though it's good for you in in a right amount, it's not good for you the way you're going to use it. He would go, Boulder Dash. Give me my aspirins. See, it's not emotionally satisfying for David. It's not emotionally satisfying for David. But it's true. And the question isn't, is it emotionally satisfying for David, or is the answer enough to make David feel better? That's not the question. The question is, am I powerful enough to keep this harmful thing from him? And so it is when you and I suffer. The question isn't if the answers that the Bible gives are feelings, uh, produce or induce feelings that are emotionally satisfying to you, the question is, is God powerful enough to get you through even your feelings? And of course, the answer is yes. So you might feel like they're emotionally not satisfying, but they're true, and they're powerful. And if you um, ask Jesus to help you apply them, they'll be transformative. Let's look at James's letter from the very first word. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, you know I said earlier, uh, I said, I said this is one of the reasons why I believe that the Bible is true. I grew up thinking, oh, the Bible's just a a book that people put together to keep people down and try to oppress um, groups of people. Let me tell you something. You wouldn't invent this line. You wouldn't invent this line. This is James, the brother of Jesus, and he worships Jesus as Lord. Think about this for a second. How much would it take for you to worship your big brother as God? How much would it take? How much would it take for your uh, brothers and sisters to worship you as God? Now, I know some of y'all think you're God. And I know some of you act like you're God. But it would take an awful lot. Well, you know, James is no different. James didn't worship Jesus when Jesus was alive on the earth. You know what had to happen? Boy, in order for me to worship my brother as God, you know what would have to happen? That dude would have to die. Then he would have to get up from the grave after I put him, there. like after I saw him go on the ground, and then I, after three days, he'd have to come back and go, hey, Ed, I'm back. i go, man, you must be God, because nobody can do that. That's what would have to happen, but that's exactly what happened with James. See, I believe the Bible because if James believed Jesus, I should have no problem. Well, James comes and he says, I'm a a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. To the 12 tribes and the dispersion, he's talking to Jewish uh, Christians. Greetings. And then James says four words that are so impossible, it's almost offensive, he says this. You ready? Count it all joy. You're kidding. Count it all joy? Yes. Now, that is offensive, because when you're going through stuff, the last thing you want to hear is chin up. The last thing you want to hear is, don't worry, things will get better. The last thing you want to hear is platitudes that make absolutely no difference in your life. You must not know what I'm going through. You must not know how deep this hurts me, or else you wouldn't say something so dumb as cheer up. Listen, this is James, the brother of Jesus. Now, what I'm about to tell you, we get from history. We don't get this from the Bible. We get this from history books. James was so passionate about talking about his big brother Jesus and telling everybody that he's God that the people, the religious people around James got furious with him. They took him up to the top of the temple. Now, I don't know what on earth they thought James was going to do. I don't know that if they thought that James was really going to say what they said to say. But they took James on top of the roof of the temple and told him Tell these people that Jesus is not Lord. And what's James going to say? Jesus is Lord and he's coming back again. You need to trust him. They got so furious, they threw him off. He didn't die, though. Broke both his legs. And with the energy that he had left, he started to pray for the people who just threw him off. And when they could stand his prayers no more, they crushed his skull with rocks. That was the only way you could make a guy like James shut up about Jesus. It's that James who says, count it all joy. The James who would die for his trust in Christ, that James who says, it's all joy. To me. Now, now notice he didn't say it's all like happy, happy, and like, you know, giddy and you know, 13-year-old, he, he, he laughing all the time. It's not that. What he's saying, James is saying something powerful. And those of you who are mature in Christ have proven what James is says: is that there can be joy and tears. That a heart broken and a heart full is not an oxymoron. That your joy can abound when your pain is great. Count it all, Joy. What do you mean when you say it all? Well, let me get specific, James would say. When you meet trials of various kinds. Now, I love that James put trials of various kinds because some of us, some of us, we're gonna be ridiculed by people we don't even know or like that much. And that's one level of persecution. Who cares? And then there's some of us who are going to lose our job because of our stand for Jesus. Now, that's another level of persecution. And then there's others of us, and I believe you're in this room right now. I mean, I really believe that. There's others of you who are going to sense the call of God to be a missionary and go to cultures and speak languages you don't right now know. And you're going to go to India, say, and you're going to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they're not going to be able to shut you up until they crush your skull. And there's that kind of persecution. James doesn't get specific about the type of suffering that you're going to go through for Christ's sake. He says, no matter if it's the ridicule of people you don't necessarily know that well or like, or you lose your life, for proclaiming the gospel or anything in between. Various trials, the trial of your sickness, the trial of your loneliness, the trial of your temptation, the trial of your relational discord, the trial of where your children are at and how, how, how bad that hurts you. Various trials, doesn't matter what you're going through. We don't compare. Your trial is your trial. He says, count it all joy, my brothers. And by the way, when he says brothers, he's just, it's like when I say, hey guys, I'm talking to all of you guys. I'm using it in the generic form. When he says brothers, he means you ladies too. Count it all joy when you meet various trials. Four, somebody say four. four. Whenever you see for, pay attention to the little words. When you're reading the Bible, when you're reading any book, but especially when you're reading the Bible, pay attention to tiny words. Like when you see the words but, or for, or as, or therefore, or then. When you see tiny words like that, they're, they're indicating something really important. James says, for, I'm going to give you the reason why you can do this. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfast. Now let's look at that. For you know. No, some of us don't know. You know. Have you ever done that? You know, you're having a conversation and somebody goes, you know. And you're like, I'm not going to say I don't know. But I don't think I know. (laughs) Yeah, sure. Yeah. So James is using the same strategy. He's going, you know. But what he's doing is he's trying to get, listen. There's an experience. There's a knowledge that's knowledge, like the sun is X amount of millions of miles away or something like that, right? That's knowledge. And then there's another type of knowledge, like my wife loves me. There's a knowing and then there's a knowing. James says, For you know, you know. This produces something, there's something that this creates. In you God is not idle he's working on something he's doing something in your soul he's producing something you're in the factory called suffering and God is going to produce something for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, now this is very powerful, because the same word James uses here can sometimes be translated endured and is also used about Jesus enduring the suffering that he went through on the cross for you. James is saying something and we need to open our ears. You see, you and I can endure loneliness even though our clocks are ticking, Because, listen to me, because Jesus endured the loneliness of having all of his friends leave, and he he endured it for the person sitting in your seat. You see, the word that James uses, this steadfast word, in the Greek, it's like a compound word, and what it means is hyperstand. Hyperstand, like overstand. You know what hyperstand is, right? Hyperstand is when you've had enough of that bully picking on you. Uh, when you were in junior high or high, high school, or some of you were high, and, um, and uh, so uh, junior high or high school, or you know, and you just said there was one day where you just said, "I'm going to hyperstand. You're not going to pick on me anymore." Some of you had had moments like that. Maybe at your job you had moments like that. James uses the same word that Jesus used for, that, that the Bible uses for Jesus. Jesus hyperstood for you. He faced death. He faced hell. And he did that for you. And now James is saying, you know, this is what God will do in you. It'll produce a steadfastness. Because here's the big idea. Just in case you leave early or you have to say you go into the bathroom and then you just walk out the door and you go, that's enough, I've had enough of this. I get it. Listen to me. If you have to leave early, here's the big idea for today. While you're waiting, God is working. While you are in the waiting room, God is in the working room. And what he's doing, listen, 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 listen. Is God working on a better circumstance? Maybe. Is God working on a better outcome? Perhaps. Is God working on a better end result? Maybe so. But I know for a fact he's working on your character and your faith. He's building it up. He's as he removes these things from your life and you find yourself suffering because you long for what used to be and you're not yet at what could be, as you're in the waiting room, while you're waiting, God is working. And he's working on your character and on your faith. And Jesus hyperstood death and hell and he'll hyperstand in you you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect. Somebody say full effect. Full effect. You See, now here's the deal. The deal is, is that we don't want this. You don't want this and neither do I. My goodness, even yesterday I didn't obey this. Yesterday, okay, let me, let me give a confession, okay? Can I confess here? Is this okay? Is this a safe place? Confession's good for the soul. Not so good for the reputation, but it's good for the soul. And so yesterday, somebody let me down. Somebody disappointed me. And you know, like, it was a situation where they over-promised and under-delivered. They said they were going to do something. I was expecting them to do something, and they didn't do it. And I was, I was hurt by it, because I was really looking forward um, to this. It was important to me. And it wasn't important to them, and it was, they just blew it off. I had to call them up, or text them, rather. I had to text them, and they said, oh, well, you know. I'm like, oh, well, you couldn't say that sooner. This happened yesterday. And so you know what I did? Because I was disappointed. I wanted something. I was, I, I was put in the waiting room. What well, I was expecting to happen, what normal was, was no longer. And what I wanted to happen didn't happen. And I was put in the waiting room. And I was sitting there and I was feeling uncomfortable. And so you know what I did? Rather than trusting Christ and saying, God, I've put all of my hope, I've put all of my joy, I've put all of my, uh, what I'm looking forward to, I've put it all on this thing. I put it on this thing. I, I, I want to put it back on you. You, you are my happy ever after you are the happy ending I want to put all of my joy back on you I've, I've changed it rather than doing that you know what I did I went on YouTube I went on YouTube to see if if they're any closer to closing the deal with Manny uh, Pacquiao and uh, Floyd Mayweather about the fight that they're <laughs> supposed to fight and evidently no hey, listen listen you laugh but what's your exit Does it come at the bottom of a bottle? Perhaps at the click of a screen? Maybe you uh, go to these uh, places of massages. Ladies, if your man is going anywhere to get massaged other than your room, you have issues. Let me just tell you, they ain't getting massages there. It's something else. So I know, I know. For those of you, I'm going to get two emails. My back was really hurt and all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Keep your messages. Listen to me, though. Listen to me. We all have exit strategies. We all have things that we run to rather than Christ. James is saying, don't do it. This steadfastness is going to produce something, something beautiful in you. It's going to produce something, but you got to stay. If you leave too early, you're not going to get what God wants for you. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete. Isn't that good? that you may be perfect and complete. What James is talking about is not so much perfection as he's talking maturity. Because isn't it true, haven't you seen people who have gone through great pain and suffering, haven't you seen them go through it like champs? Haven't you seen them, like I've seen Christians go through amazing suffering, and you just go, oh my goodness, how are you going through this? And they go, the Lord is sustaining me. He's producing a perfect work in me. He's doing something in me. God wants to produce something. He wants us to become mature in Christ, lacking in nothing. And the reason James says lacking in nothing is simply this. When you and I long for something other than Christ, we'll always lack for something. When we long for security, and our security is found in locks on a door, rather than locking into Christ then anxieties kick up. We lack for something. When our security lies on the man looking at us and saying, you're beautiful, then then we'll always lack for something because he won't always say we're beautiful. When our security lies at the bottom of the bottle or at the end of a syringe, listen to me, you'll always lack for something. James, the brother of Jesus, tells us that our security is found in Christ and that while we are waiting, Christ is working. That's what I need you to know. Now, there's an illustration of how God is working that I think is beautiful, and it's found in the book of Nehemiah. Now, as I tell you this illustration, uh, Joe is going to come up. Now, Joe is going to tell a waiting room story. Now, I know that when you come to church and you hear testimonies, you hear about, well, you know, I didn't have any money and then I bumped to some guy in Walgreens and he said he's going to give me $100,000 and God made a way. And we all love testimonies like that. I I know I love testimonies, especially if it's mine. And um, everybody loves those kinds of testimonies, but sometimes our testimonies are not so. Sometimes we still suffer and Joe's going to give a testimony like that. But before he gives it, I want to tell you a story about Nehemiah. Nehemiah is uh, found in the Old Testament, and he was a man that God used to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Now, the walls of Jerusalem, back before there were planes and tanks, were the only way you could defend your city. It was a primary way that you could defend your city. These walls are not small. They're huge. Now, Nehemiah goes to the city of Jerusalem. He finds that the walls are all broken down. He gets to the wall, he sees that they're all broken down and he laments in his heart for the vulnerability of his people. God puts it in his heart to go and rebuild the wall. He starts a rebuilding campaign, a construction campaign that takes over 50 days but is an absolute miracle to behold. He rebuilds the entire wall. The wall goes, I went to Jerusalem, I ran through these walls, not through these walls but around these walls and it was amazing to see the kind of walls that they put up. It was absolutely breathtaking. Well, he puts these walls up, and so he's not it's not like a seven-foot wall. These are high walls. Well, the, he had enemies, Nehemiah did, and these enemies were people who were of other states closer to his, other nations closer to his, and they didn't want Jerusalem to be protected, so they wanted to stop Nehemiah, and they said, come down off the wall, come down off the wall, get off the wall and meet with somebody. Oh, we're going to spread rumors about you that are negative against the king and and the king will have you beheaded. Basically is what they told him. And Nehemiah did this incredible statement. He replied, he said, I can't come down. I'm doing a great work. I'm doing a great work. And he didn't come down, and he kept on working on the wall. Come closer. Come closer. There are some things broken in your character. There are some things that if God lets you continue on in them, they'll be your undoing. And you're screaming down to God, God, I can't take this waiting room anymore. I can't take this suffering anymore. I can't do And God goes, I can't come down. I'm doing a great work. He's working on your character. He's working on your faith. That when you find yourself in the waiting room, that's what God is doing. While you're waiting, God is working and he's doing a great work. And you can rest in Christ because if Christ stood stood strong, he hyper stood for you. Then he'll hyper he'll hyperstand in you during you're suffering.